Hello there, I'm Marina Mahadeo. Welcome to Busy Reading Books, a podcast where we'll explore the world through words, featuring some of my favourite books and authors. Hello BRB listeners, we've got an exciting offer for you. Get an exclusive 10% discount at Book Access, Malaysia's leading book retailer. Just use the code ZAFIGO10, all caps, at checkout before 6 September 2021. It can be used store-wide except during flash sales. Happy shopping! Hi everyone, it's Marina again. Welcome to the third episode of uh, Busy Reading Books the new Zafigo bookcast on books and traveling the world through books. And today we have a very special, special thing. We are going to talk to someone who is regarded as the most successful Malaysian writer in recent years. And that's Tash Ao. Hi, Tash. Hi, Marina. Hi. How are you? I'm very well. How are you? I'm good. Where are you? I'm in France right now. Nice. So yeah, yeah, you know, been stuck here for a while because of you know travel restrictions. But you know, it's it's fine. I'm surviving. Um, so I'm surviving. <laughs> You're surviving. But have you been keeping yourself busy? Have you learned a new skill? Are you baking bread? Um, of course not. I mean, I started out no. with you know, the best intentions, and um, you know, once. I failed a couple of times with the bread. I just thought, you know, actually, I, I have all these bakeries around you. I just go to the village and buy it. You know, I just go to the bakery and buy bread. Um, and what other skills? Um, I was going to learn all these, you know, I was going to learn sort of Japanese and stuff like that. But, you know, obviously, like everyone else, I just fell into this mush of, un, you know, unproductive sort of staring at YouTube and Netflix. And oh. <laughs> I'm, I'm even bored of Netflix now. Yeah, I know what you mean. We just finished an extremely long series called Billions, which was something like, you know, almost 60 episodes. And uh, now that it's over, we don't know what to do. <laughs> we don't know what to watch. But yeah, you know, some of the early enthusiasm last year for baking la and all sorts of hobbies somehow has petered out. I guess because it's been going the, on too long. Yeah, I mean the, the whole um, the novelty value of, of of lockdown has has disappeared. You know, the, this whole the idea that wow, you know, I have no more meetings. I didn't have to travel for once. Um, I I can I can catch up on all the things that I want. I've always wanted to do all the books I wanted to read. I think all that is gone now. And you know, I was I was very productive in the first two lockdowns. And now it's coming into the third one. It's just, it's no longer fun. I mean, it, you know, to be perfectly honest, you know, my productivity is very, very down. You know, I was writing very well last year. This year, you know, 2021, I think it's because naturally, I think we want things to get better and things are not getting better. And it's difficult to see how, um, you know, it is, it is difficult to see the way forward at the moment. I think in the next two months, things will change a lot. But just right now, things are really <laughs> quite tough, to be perfectly honest. Well, I'm glad I'm not the only one. I, I also feel very unproductive, which is kind of bad because I have some deadlines to meet. Uh, but what are you working on? Any books or anything? I'm working on a novel. I mean, I've um, I've started a novel, um, and it was supposed to 
this was my time to really get it off the ground, but it's just not really happening right now. Sort of, uh, I guess, last few months of 2020, I was working on a lot of nonfiction, and that was very successful. I, uh, you know, my my little book, The Face. Yes. Uh, it's being expanded, so I'm I'm basically doubling it in length. It's still it's still going to be very short, and so that is now finished. It's coming out in December. In hang on, uh, September. Oh, wonderful! And that was yeah. It was it was uh, you know it was, it was difficult to write, um, but I feel you know ultimately I I did it well. I did it, I I did what I wanted to do with it um, emotionally. I, I you know technically it wasn't so difficult, but emotionally it's it was very difficult to write. Um, technically, it required a little bit of adjusting because you know essentially what what I was doing was was trying to add on to an existing book, which is not like not at all like creating a new one. So you have right. to be sensitive to the, to the rhythms of the first book and see how, you know, thematically whether you, it's working and, and all that kind of thing. Um, I did that. I did a few essays. Um, you know, I've been writing reviews. So I felt productive. And so I cleared everything off the table to create space for the novel. But now the novel is, uh, you know, it's just taking its time. Really, I think. Um, is, it, is it set in Malaysia again? I, you've had several, all, almost all your books yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, it, you know, about it, Malaysia. They all, you know, they all have Malaysia at its, at its heart. You know, the, um, even the one set in Shanghai, which is, you know, Five Star Billionaire, which everyone, you know, saw as, as, as a sort of a China novel. In fact, all the sensitive reviewers said that actually at its heart, it's, you know, it has Malaysia. Um, yeah. I find that even when I set out to write non-Malaysian stories, it always comes back to Malaysia. Um, and and it, that that duality, I think, is always uh, is always going to be a feature of my work. Um, so this one, I guess, in some way, will involve that as well. I think the crucial passages always, you know, come back to Malaysia. It's very difficult for me not to do that. Well, because you're Malaysian, so that means there's <laughs> space. <laughs> there's space in the international book world for stories on Malaysia because we all kind of think like nobody wants to know about us but yeah there's there's plenty of room for that don't you think yeah I mean of course, you, of course. there's Tuan Ng and oh, but there's a, there are a lot there are a lot and, and also you know now uh, you know I think that you know people like um, me Tuan Ng you know we're becoming old men you know there's, <laughs> there's all these, it's true but you know there are all these really talented um, young writers generally I have to say I mean, all the ones that I know of, you know, who I, I received the manuscripts, um, they're all women, uh, very really? young, very talented. Malaysian? Yeah, yeah. Malaysian, really? yeah. yeah. Oh. Um, uh, you know, they live all over the world. Some, some live in Malaysia, some live in Singapore, some live in you know, America, a lot, a lot in America. Um, and, you know, I'm seeing, I'm starting to see manuscripts. Uh, and, and, no, it's, Why it's, are they I, sending you the manuscripts? Are you acting um, as an agent? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> well, no, or I mean, you know, I mean, take a look and yeah, sure, yeah. You know, sometimes it's blurb requests. Sometimes the publishers send them to me. Ah. Um, well, sometimes I'm, you know, I meet them at, at readings or, or <clears throat> book festivals, and and you know, I'm always keen to support young writers. Um, and you know, I've been doing that for a long time. And of course, you know, there's a slightly, you know, there's a slightly kind of, um, you know. The, the nationalistic side of me, which which always wants to promote Malaysian writing, 
wherever I can, I, wherever I can. And obviously, you know, there are limits. You know, I, I have to do my own work. I can't endlessly be reading manuscripts. Yeah, but, I was wondering. But, yeah, but you know, where I can, I always help. You know, and, and I always try and sort of um, and give advice if I if I can. And you know, sometimes it's not if I'm in the middle of a big project, I just can't read as much I, as I would like to. But all that is to say that you know that. There are a lot of Malaysian writers out there, and a lot of them are, are very young, you know, 32, 35 years old, and, and you know, they, they're producing really interesting work. So, Is it all fiction? Are they writing fiction or non-fiction or what? Uh, I, would say, I would say both, you know, a lot of fiction, um, but I've seen non-fiction as well. Oh. So, yeah, so I think, I think, you know, there's going to be a good variety of things coming out very soon. Oh, great. That's that's good to know. And I'm glad to know that they are women because I, I kind of looked around and uh, <clears throat> didn't see too many um, Malaysian female writers that are, you know, being published overseas and things like that. So I think the younger generation, I think certainly, are, um, you know, um, are going to be who are going to be sort of breaking through soon. I think, um, you know, present a very wide range of talents. Um, and it, it is generally women. And you know, I think it's also true for Singapore. When you look at the young Singaporean writers who are breaking through, they tend to be young women. Um, and also because I've been teaching a lot over the last eight years in Singapore. In, in, um, I've been teaching creative writing there at, at NTU. And um, generally my best students have been you know, the most ambitious, the most sort of talented, the most um, actually the most determined to succeed. They've all been... I've all been women, so you know. Awesome! That's that's yeah, great. Yeah, that's exactly. great. With with the men, particularly younger men in Southeast Asia, there is still this sort of macho um, sort of feeling, macho attitude towards the arts and reading in particular. You know, you don't want to be seen be, be seen as a geek. You know, it's <laughs> uh, it, it's it's some um, it's still a problem. I think it, it, it's. Generally, the trend is, is true of, of a lot of different countries. But, you know, I think certainly from my experience teaching in, in Malaysia and Singapore, there is still that resistance towards reading um, amongst young men. Oh, and writing too, therefore. Yeah, I think, mean? you know, the two things, yeah, the two things are, are linked. You know, the, um, there is a sense amongst sort of, um, you know, certain older writers. When you look at the, you know, the great tradition of, of um Asian writing, a lot of people tend to sort of think of, of names like V.S. Naipaul, Saman Rushdie, Vikram Seth. And so there is this kind of that, that slightly the, the over-masculinized male Asian writer. Right. And that is what a lot of people aspire to. But of course, you know, what they don't see is that behind that, those acts of grand writing, there is a lot of reading involved. And, and if, you know, if you don't have uh, you know, uh, that habit of, of reading from a young age, you, you know, generally you're not going to be a writer. You're not going to be a successful writer. Um, and, and, you know, I say from a young age, but actually it doesn't have to be a young age. You, know, you can develop sort of reading, uh, reading habits and, re and tastes and more varied taste for reading at, at, at any age. But really without a wide base of reading, you know, it's very difficult to become, uh, it's very difficult to become, a writer, and you know, there there is still you know a very agenda divide. Certainly for people of my generation, you know, I'm not sure how true this is for younger generations, but I suspect it's sort of still the same because it's certainly true from, you know, my experience of teaching in Singapore. How you know if you're clever, 
and you're a boy, you get channeled mm. into the science subjects, the more technical subjects. You know, science yeah. stream, art stream. That's uh, right. <laughs> and, and and for a girl, you know, it's like fine. You can go and do literature. You can do painting and art and and do that sort of thing. Whereas it's considered effeminate for boys. And you know, it's not. What are you going to do if you you read English anyway? You know, if you study English at university or literature, I mean, what are you going to do with that? You know, young men in Asia now are still kind of at that stage where they want to be a banker, they want to be an accountant, they want to be a management consultant. You know, all these sort of, um, you know, traditionally sort of masculine jobs. And, right. Um, and so, you know, until that changes, I think you are going to see many more um, female writers, which, you know, is a... Is a great thing when I look at the the ver the, the variety of what um, the manuscripts that I'm reading present. It you know really is quite astonishing and very surprised and you know and thrilling in fact. That's interesting because I I was just um, reading up on on women writers globally and how they are actually a very small number of published uh, writers still. Uh, but it is changing be, mainly because there's so many creative writing courses now, uh, MFAs, and a lot of the students are women, and therefore, uh, in in the um, you know in literary fiction, um, there are it's it's almost gender balance because you know of the of the uh, writers coming out of universities and all that. But talking about male writers, I'm I'm reading a really interesting book. Uh, by a young Malaysian male writer uh, called Joshua Kam. Have you read it? The Man in Green. I haven't read it. The Man in Green Who Saved Pahang and Possibly Mm. the World. A long title. And uh, I don't know how I came across it, but I I started reading it. It's amazing. It's actually amazing. Uh, Because it's it's a wild ride. It's, It's a fantasy and, you know, full of magic and all that. But the amazing thing is that he brings in everything. He brings in um, mythology, Chinese mythology, Malay mythology, religion, you know, Islam and uh, orthodox religion or all sorts of things, you know. And he somehow meshes it all in this really wild ride. So, so, you know, I... I guess there must be some uh, some no. young men who are writing, you know. No, of but... course, of course. I mean, you know, but you know, of course there there are, and I and I hope there there are more. But um, and that I I it, it's published by Epigram Books in Singapore. Yes. I, so I I know, I know of that. Um, I haven't had a chance, sadly, to to read it. it sounds fantastic, um, but um, it's still you know it's still sort of I think male writers are still in the minority in terms of, you know, people of that generation. Um, and, and I think that's, um, you know, it's, it's not necessarily, necessarily a bad thing. You know, it's, I think it's, um, uh, there are, my sense is, is that, you know, for a long time, although women have always been uh, bigger book buyers than men, there've been fewer women represented in publishing simply yeah. because you know, the demands on, on a woman's life, you know, particularly once she has children, are such that, you know, it, it is difficult. And, and, you know, women have, I think they haven't been, a, been able to sort of see how they can make a living as a writer. There's, you know, the, the examples of, are, are not as numerous as 
as the men. And you know, if you look at even really famous, really, really famous writers, it, it was it was always said that, you know, obviously before Hilary Mantel became like, <laughs> like a yeah. superstar, before she started selling, you know, squillions of copies, everyone knew she was you know, one of the best writers around and it was said that she didn't sell she didn't sell more because um she changed every novel she wrote was kind of different you know different in tone different in subject matter um but her direct contemporary was someone like Ian McEwan who did exactly the same thing Mm. and so whereas with the man it's considered clever and he knows he's he's so clever and so agile and so sort of varied and you know he has all these talents with a woman it's sort of it's almost as if you know the publishing industry didn't know what to do with her right Uh, and so I think you know the success of someone like like Hillary and 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 others you know younger than her you know obviously Rachel Cusk and and you know a whole sort of raft of, of women um actually have set the example of how, you know, you can be sort of, one can be um, experimental, varied, and and still be successful. And I think, you know, these examples have made it possible for, you know, generations of, of people coming after that to, to, you know, to be expressive and, and, and sort of, and, and to have that professional career at the same time and not be sort of confined by the publishing industry to certain genres, which is, you know, traditionally what happened. uh, With women. Yeah. 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 So uh, coming back to Malaysian writers, have you read Hannah Alkaf? I have. Superb. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I mean, I, I, yeah. The uh, Weight of Our Sky. I haven't read the ones after. I mean, it's young adult, but it's, it's really, I was I was very pleasantly surprised, you know. I I think I used to, you know, in the old days where you see, you know, local writers, and it always seemed a bit forced. But now it's it's you know such so much more fluid. Of course, she's an English lit uh, graduate as well, but she's doing well, and um, she's getting uh, recognition overseas. Do you think? You know, there's you and and there's Tuan A, you won all these awards. Are these really, um, how do you get there? I mean, is it difficult to get that sort of attention? Or do you have to be living overseas um, to to really make it in, in, uh, in the book world nowadays? No, no. I mean, no. I, I'm really quite, quite clear about, about that. You know, it's, it's, I think, and also I think, you know, because because publishing has changed so much and because the way we live has changed so much you know, because of boundaries being being not what they used to be you know national boundaries because of the internet because of zoom you know because of all these things i really think you know these kind of questions are, are slightly sort of outmoded now um i i, I don't think feel that publishing works in, in the same way anymore i think um uh, i also think that you know, I, I am slightly uneasy about um about the uh, you know the distinction between you know Malaysian writers and Malaysian writers overseas, as if there mm. is you know the, I'm not quite sure how how you know that affects. I think it is it is a personal choice, you know. Yeah. I think it is to do with um, you know where one is located geographically. I don't think necessarily influences. It can't be taken as a rule as to how that influences the writer. I think what's more important is what the other thing that you just said, which is, uh, which is about uh, the quality of a work feeling forced or feeling natural, 
which is right. actually part of a bigger question of whether you know, that work speaks to a local audience in the same way as it speaks to a, a, you know, an international audience. Because ideally, good literature is both specific and universal. No, but I was thinking about, you know, getting the attention. Mm. I mean, Malaysia is small. Um, and how do you how do you get attention? You know, if if you're if you've got a really good story and you're a really good writer and you're here, because I mean, one thing I found that there's no agent system out here, for sure. instance, you know, and I don't know whether the big agents in um, in Europe, in the UK, in the US are, are scouting around here. I mean, Hannah Alcaf has got an agent who's based in the States. You know, most people don't. You know, I it's, think it's, it's literally, I think, you know, agents are, you know, they take submissions, open submissions from anywhere in the world, and they're always looking for talent. Um, and, you know, you, you literally just email your stuff. And, 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 you know, that process is the same, whether you live in, you know, whether you live in Brooklyn or whether you live in Kuala Trungano, it's, it's exactly the same. You just email them. I mean, you know, if you if you live in Brooklyn, you're not going to rock up at their offices and, and present them the manuscript. You, you know, you can't. You just don't do that. Um, right. You send them the the manuscript. Um, I think, you know, I think it, all that is possible. You know, that that is the way publishing has always worked. Publishing has always worked with, um, you know, with a bit of luck, a bit of chance. Um, people are always looking for talent. I do think that nowadays people are more, you know, in terms of the publishing industry, the international publishing industry, people are more alert to the possibility of like, you know, talent coming from outside the traditional uh, spheres of, of, of you know, the traditional pools of talent. So I think, you know, it, the fact that you're living in Malaysia or Singapore or wherever, it, it doesn't, you know, it really doesn't change anything. It really is, it is whether you have something that, an agent feels that they can they can sell. Um, you know, I know of numerous new people in in Singapore in particular. You know, who send their agents their, their manuscripts to agents uh, abroad and 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 are successful in, in gaining representation in in that way. I would, however, caution against seeing getting an agent and getting a publisher as the ultimate goal in in in, in writing. Um, I know I think it is important. I, I, I think it is important. And it's very, 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 very difficult to, re to resist. Um, and it's very difficult to resist the, the very seductive notion of, um, you know, having an agent equals um, a validation of my work. And that means I'm a good writer. You know, the two things are not the same thing. It just means that you have a work that someone feels that they can sell. Right, right, um, and you know, it's a, it's a whole chain of of sort of uh, it's whole sort of very complicated system of thinking yourself of yourself as a writer, right? Because um, you know, once you become a, a published writer, this whole thing of how do I think of myself, how do I validate myself as a writer? Um, is it through good reviews? Is it through sales? That's a very important thing. You know, the people you publish always makes you feel that, you know, oh, you haven't sold quite enough. You know, you have, it hasn't sold. Well, it hasn't done quite what we wanted, wanted it to do, you know, when referring to one of your books that you've spent like five years writing. <laughs> and yeah. Or do you measure yourself against prizes? Um, right. So, but none of those things actually, none of those things actually substantively 
mean anything to you as a writer. You know, you can win all the prizes you want and you can sell a, you know, a million copies, but the next day you still have to go back and write your own book, you know, your next book. And your, your, your next day you still have to sort of to be confronted by the blank page. Um, so, you know, just take the example of reviews. <clears throat> I, you know, for my first novel, I was so you know, thrilled to be published and thrilled to be you know, out there in the world. I, I read everything, you know, everything that came out. And soon I was really just so kind of exhausted by the whole, the whole, and, and the whole process, exhausted and kind of slightly, slightly disgusted by it because um, a lot of the reviews seem to be not to understand the book, not to understand the, you know, the, the, the totality of, of what I was trying to do. Um, and every time I found, you know, I, I came across a, a sort of a bad review or even a sort of a, a, you know, an okay review, it felt like really, it felt so crushing. And I couldn't write for, you know, days and days after that. Um, and when I got a, you know, a good review, I would read it and think, oh, well, fine, that was fine. <laughs> But then, you know, I then had to go back and write write my book the next day, my, you know, whatever I was working on next. And it didn't help me. It didn't, I didn't suddenly think, oh my God, I'm a fantastic writer because I have a, you know, I had a good review in the, in, you know, in the Times or whatever. Um, the struggle is still the same. And that's when I, that's when I started to realize that actually external validation doesn't change the internal um, development of a writer. And it's the internal development that one has to try and concentrate on. I know it's very, very hard. It really, really, really is very hard. But, you know, I, uh, just to give you some salutary tales, I've, I've known lots of young writers, talented young writers, um, young and not so young writers, who succeeded in getting an agent and suddenly think, I'm made. And actually... Yeah. You know, the, the manuscript doesn't get sold. It doesn't get sold and doesn't right. get sold. And then that's really crushing because they've staked all their, um, you know, their their kind of development as a writer on on what is essentially a commercial progression. First, you get the agent. The agent sells a manuscript to a publisher, and then I become a writer. But actually, no, you become a writer by concentrating on your work and doing right, what exactly. you do as an artist. <laughs> it's really right. hard. I, I just read um, an interesting article, a very funny one also, actually, in lithub.com about this guy whose first book was so hyped and he was so excited. He was 30 years old. He was so excited about seeing his book in the bookstores and, and you know, being signed up for book tours and everything. And then the reviews came in and they weren't good. And then, and then it wasn't selling. And the book tour went from a 10-city one to a 5-city one to a, a little uh, bookstore in one place. And, and, and I mean, he, he survived it, but the whole story, I mean, 20 years later, 25 years later, he finally wrote another book and that, that is selling, I think. But it, it was a real story about how you... you you know, you, you get so hyped up by having a book, as you said, you know, a, an agent and a publisher, and then it doesn't mm. work. And, 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 you know, I guess you, you must know, you know, the, the pain of it. And then what can you do? You, you just have to go back and 
start on another one and you know and and it's very uh, stop start thing and you know it's it's a lovely it's a lovely essay and i, I think <laughs> yeah. now he's he said he's grown up enough now that he he he's not going to stake his entire ego and well-being on a book there's more to life you know than that but he's well, still it's writing it's great if he um it's great if he if he survived it and has gained that wisdom because a lot of people would have been broken. I mean, would have been broken by yeah. the experience. And you know, I've been in the business now nearly. You know, I've been at the shop end of the business for nearly twenty years. And um, um, you know, I've come. You know, obviously, you know, coming from Malaysia and coming from, in particular from a background that really wasn't involved in in you know literary or, or artistic sort of endeavors at all. Suddenly, to sort of discovering all that to be being dumped into, into into the deep end, it was all a sort of very sharp learning curve for me, and um, and you know in the, over the last twenty years, I have seen more than a few writers, you know, sort of sell you know, who sold their first book for multiple like hundreds of thousands of dollars, um, and literally have no career now and will never write again, I mean, broken by the experience. So you know, it's not to say that. You know, one mustn't. I think one has to have a certain level of ambition in this business. You you have to really want to do it, but you also have to have perspective. And and so that's what you know with a lot of Malaysian writers uh, who you know I speak to and who you know, who who writes me and and you know ask for, for for advice. It's always about the agenting. It's always about the publishing. Um, mm. What I'm more concentrate, what I w- I'm more concentrated on is you know what are you actually writing. writing. Right, right, and and you know, and 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 you know, taking the conversations as we rewinding it slightly to sort of you know, the the range and variety of, of Malaysian writing, young Malaysian writing, and how you know even you know seemingly sort of I don't know very Malaysian stories can can gain a very international audience. And you you mentioned Joshua Kam, but there's also you know one forgets there's also Zen Cho who you know who's who published now several books. You know, it's a great right. acclaim. Uh, and you know whose work is very varied, um, obviously very Asian, but also has something else that that you know makes it translatable to um, to a very wide audience. So you know what the magic formula is. I mean, who knows, right? You know, and, and I think this yeah. is what the publishing industry is always trying to find out. You know, they don't know what the next big thing is going to be. They don't know what is going to sell. And so for for you as the writer, um, for us as writers. All we have to do is concentrate on what we think is important and what we want to do. And you know, unfortunately, it, you know, it's that's why writing has a you know has a sort of mystique attached to it because actually people don't know what the the formula is. I mean, it's not that you can do several exams and become like a neurosurgeon, um, right? Or no. you, you know, you you do this exam or this exam, this exam, and then and you know you'll move through the ranks and and. And become you know an investment banker. You can't do that with writing. No one knows. And so, really, the only way to do it is to um, you know do what's important to you. What really That's matters. Right. So we're almost uh, at the end of an hour. Um, so just a few more last minute questions. So you've written fiction and nonfiction. Which do you prefer? Um, <laughs> I I, mean, I I always think of myself. Uh, principally as a novelist, so you know, a fiction writer. But you know, in the recent years, I've I really sort of started to you know, explore and enjoy the art of essay writing and and the art of of nonfiction writing. It's it, you know, it's a different 
it just exercises a different part of my writerly brain. So, you know, I, I would still say, you know, I still feel freer with fiction, but I'm starting to, to be able to feel that kind of freedom in essay writing. Because, you know, traditionally you think, well, essay writing or nonfiction writing, you know, you're bound by certain kind of truth, right? You know, you are, you are bound yeah. by, uh, you know, parameters. But actually that's what fiction tries to do as well. You can't just play so fast and loose with fiction. Um, you know, I, I'm essentially a realist writer. So, you know, you have to get a certain, you know, you, you are still bound by a certain kind of expectation. Um, having said that, you know, I do depart quite a lot from, from reality. And, and when I do so, I, I know that I'm doing it. So what are you reading these days? So what am I reading is um, I'm doing a lot of rereading at the moment, just to sort of, for things that I um, I feel might be, uh, useful to my current novels. I'm reading. I'm reading a lot of short stories. I'm reading Tagore's short stories, um, which are, are actually kind of wonderful. You know, I, I think we forget the, the economy and the, the kind of the compression. Uh, I'm rereading some Chekhov, and then I read the um, George Saunders has a, a book uh, about rereading um, Russian, <laughs> oh. rereading to Russian. <laughs> novelist from the 19th from the 19th century and it, it's actually also it's a great book to read because it's a masterclass in reading fiction it's really really good um so yeah i'm going i'm reading i'm rereading some hanif qureshi he's, he's very he's, he's very funny um and then there's the never-ending sort of reviewing work so yeah you know so can you tell us a bit about what your next book is about or is that Top secret. Um... It's not, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not one of these sort of um, superstitious writers who who thinks that I can't ever talk about the book unless it's published. But the only reason I don't talk about it more is that, that you know it, it might change very very dramatically. You know, so every time I start writing uh, a novel. I have a certain idea of it. And you know, by the time I'm about 20, 30% in, it's completely changed. So I, I'm, I'm just so slightly so wary about telling you it's a, um, it's one thing that's going to end up being another. I mean, it's it, the only thing I can, I, I can tell you is that it's going to be set um, between 1998 and about 2001. That's the time period. Oh, okay. So almost contemporary. It's well, or almost historical. You know, I, I had a, a a student in in Singapore a few years ago, who said she was writing a historical novel set in 1988. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> I'm sorry, oh, you know, you to finish SPM by then. So you know, it, it made me think about about how we regard time and how we regard history, and exactly. and, how, and actually how we regard time and history in Southeast Asia because things change so fast. And, right. and things are actually physical reminders of, of, you know, our lives are destroyed as we're living it, as we're living our lives. Um, and so we're taught to believe in, in, um, in history being this thing that it has no bearing to our current lives. And so when, when the student said that to me, I thought this is, it's really interesting, you know, how, how we regard you know, the passing of time um, and something that was, that's really clear in my memory as being part of my current life. I don't see that as a former 
part of my life, you know. It's, right, it's, right. You know, was, was she born after? Event. Was she born after eighty eight? Is is yeah, that? No, I mean, a long time. I mean, you know, they're, they're born in like you know, in the nineties, in the two thousand, you know, ninety eight, two thousand. So, actually, you know, how is it? How is it? You know, what is? How is it going to feel like to write about a period, say, twenty years ago? Which yeah. Seems like yesterday, but is it actually still twenty years ago? And you know, is and, it and and very different from now. I mean, gosh, I I could write about ancient history when we didn't have fax machines, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and, and that was in the eighties. So. I, I mean, but also like the touchscreen phone has fundamentally changed the way we think about ourselves. Yeah, know, and, and, and the, the idea of no longer having a phone with a front camera. I mean, how you know, that that just seems insane. I mean, people don't send people don't send pictures of the outside world anymore. They send pictures of themselves. So you know, if you, it used to be just until very recently, if we went to a really extraordinary place, you know, with incredible you know, scenery and you know, landscapes, we would send a picture of that landscape. We would send a picture of that building. Now we have to send a picture of ourselves in front of the landscape with a landscape in the background. Um, right, and, and and all that I think changes the way we think about themselves, uh, ourselves, and you know, in in 1998, you know, I had a mobile phone, but it had nothing to do. I mean, I had I wasn't reliant on it the way I am now. It didn't change my relationship with the world. Right, <laughs> is that is that a hint about what your book is going to be about? Well, no, not. Not necessarily. No. I mean, it's in theory. It's it's about you know. It, it in theory. I mean, the idea is is again a sort of a uh, a novel that explores this whole idea of duality and the idea of reinvention. Usually, mm. is very important to me. I mean, it's you know, it's um because I feel that Malaysia and you know Malaysians in general. So you know, certainly for people of my generation, yours, um, ours, I should say. Uh, <laughs> but but down to I think about. 30, 35, I think younger people than that have, you know, have a slightly more complicated dynamic with social mobility. But certainly for people of our generation, uh, it's the idea of possibility you know, of, of, um, of social mobility and social ascension and transformation of the self, of the individual. is very strong. You know, we don't, never thought of things as being impossible. We never thought of, um, right. I, can't, I can't be a lawyer if I don't want to. Whereas right. now I think, you know, it, it's society in Malaysia and Southeast Asia in general, I think has been become much more stratified and, you know, the social mobility is less easy to, to obtain, I think. Um, and so in that period in particular, I think was, was kind of the high point, you know, mm. people who were in their 20s, late 20s, early 30s, you know, who had, you know, who were sort of brought up in this notion of nationalism and, you know, post-independence sort of, um, I don't know, a sense of, of endless possibility starting, just starting, you know, we had in 97, we had the, the Asian financial crisis. And then we had all the kind of the, the problems with Anwar and Reformasi. And, and, and at the same time, Britain was undergoing the same kind of, um, you know, a, a mirror metamorphosis. You, you, Labour had gotten first socialist government in a very, very long time, a sudden flourishing of, of, of um, society, you know, becoming more multicultural, becoming more 
uh, tolerant, you know, of LGBT uh, people of, of all kinds of, you know, of ethnic minorities, religious minorities. And then we had 2000, we had 9-11 in 2001, mm. which is just four years later, which already started sort of to change the way uh, we thought of ourselves as as a society. So you know, all over the world, it, you know, the last twenty years have been this process of of trying to figure out identity. You know, trying to figure out how we want to progress as as society. And those early years, I think, are are, are very, I think, are very interesting to me. Yeah, it, it's still ongoing. I think there's still yeah. I mean, I was with, I was just before this. I was in another forum with all these young people, and it's quite interesting you know the things that they they um interested in doing and wanting to do and and all that so i felt quite hopeful because i've also seen i mean i think it was just last week i there was some article uh oh it was for international women's day or something and this young activist i swear she must be 30 years younger than me complaining that she was tired Mm. <laughs> and all of us oldies are going what <laughs> you know tired in what tired in what sense oh just tired i'm you know i'm so tired nothing changes and and you know you know men are still shit and, and <laughs> things like that you know like i'm just tired right <laughs> well yeah in a way yes but to say that nothing has changed i mean so today when i was talking i was saying like you have to take the long view that these things are, you know, they're so used to quick things now, social media, boom, 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 boom. And then they think that if they talk about it on Twitter, then things will happen. Well, it doesn't. No, I think, it, you're, I think you're right. I think you're right that, you know, that, that, that you know, social media really distorts, you know, totally. our idea of what is, what is actually happening. But, but I do think that maybe there is a sense, you know, that, and, um, and, you know, I wasn't party to that conversation. So I didn't know what she meant exactly. But I do think that there is a sense in which, you know, old, slightly older people in Asia feel that things you know, were up for, were possible. It's possible to change them. It's possible to sort of take control of your own life and do something with it. Yeah. But because of the way, you know, we've invented the middle class, we've invented you know, stratifications within that middle class, we've invented sort of, you know, people who are, you know, who are rich and educated, who will then have children who will go to private private schools. Um, we've also invented whole categories of people who whose lives are, you know, are going to be much different from ours. You know, yeah. it's and and you know, when I when you look at, you know, which is why the you know, my last novel was written in the way it, it was, you know, when if you are stuck in some kampong, even like 50 miles from KL, and you work in a factory or you work in a plantation, it's really unlikely nowadays that your children are going to think, yeah, there's no problem. I can just go to, you know, I can just go to Harvard. Yeah. Whereas actually, yeah. 30, 40 years ago, and it was crazy, because that's what people did think. Yeah, yeah. All they had to do is work out, save money, and then go, you know. And, and you know, of course, you know, the, the, the proportion of people who actually did do that was tiny, but that was what people felt. They, it was about feeling that things were possible, whether or not they were possible. And now I think people, I just have younger people just see that actually it's really difficult. You know, I can work, I can work so hard, and actually that my life is still going to be like that. 
and and men are still going to be shit. <laughs> well, you know, I, I just have some questions about how hard they're actually working. You know, but anyway, <laughs> well, you know, not you, to go into that. But anyway, um, well, that's a really long um, conversation. Always a pleasure to speak to you. But yeah, no, thank you so much. I mean, that's a, a lot more than what I could have hoped for. And it's always lovely to talk to you. And thank you so much, uh, Tash, for taking the time. And I hope I haven't taken you away from no, not at all. work or a croissant, yeah, I, nice croissant. I'm and, actually now starting to get a little bit hungry because I don't, I'm, I'm not good in the morning. So I, I just have coffee and you know, skip my meal. But, but it's not it's, so morning now, is it? Yeah, it's 12, 15, so yeah. Lunchtime. Lunchtime, yeah. I go a nice lunch. French lunch. Yeah. Great. <laughs> well, thank to... you again. All right. And yeah, uh, we'll chat another time. All right. And um, keep well, stay safe. See you soon. Bye. Okay, bye. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to check out zafigo.com for more travel inspiration. Until next time.